Hey, Mystic Witches. I'm here with Arthur Lipbonowitz, who is the real deal. Born and raised a pagan, Arthur grew up watching both of his parents read tarot at psychic fairs and pagan festivals. At the age of 12, he gave his first reading using a deck and a system he designed himself. He now reads tarot and a blend of modern and traditional astrology. In addition, he communicates with archangels, deities, and spirit guides daily and channels their messages to those who seek their guidance. His corporate clients have included YouTube, Etsy, BuzzFeed, Kotaku, and Lifehacker. You can find him on Instagram at readingsbyarthur and on Twitter at Lip and Bone. Okay, Arthur. Hi. Hello. So I always open with the same question. You're aware. What tarot card do you feel represents you and why? Um, I'm going to say judgment with a little bit of the tower. Whoa. Okay, you have to explain judgment with a little bit of the tower. <laughs> <laughs> My life just seems to be a constant process of like dying and being reborn and occasionally by means of a spiritual sledgehammer. Yikes. Spiritual sledgehammer. <laughs> it's a living. Hilarious. Why the ta- the tower's the sledgehammer? The tower's the sledgehammer. And the judgment is, is the, the dying and being reborn. Yeah, it feels like I'm always... And, and also, like, there's a sense of apocalypse consciousness, which is very much part of the Pluto and Scorpio generation as a whole, and which I feel very strongly, um, almost too strongly at times. But uh, there is this sense that my life is just (laughs) dying and being reborn over and over again. And the tower comes in because, like, once or twice a year, for as long as, I don't know, since childhood, there's some major transformative sledgehammer to the soul kind of event. And I just sort of, I'm used to it by now. (laughs) True. I also do tell people that the tower is about perspective also because it may seem like things are falling apart, but they're usually falling into place with that card. I see it very much as, um, and we'll get into this later, about things have been so bad for so long and they just haven't been dealt with that the only way to deal with them is to take a sledgehammer to them. <laughs> Pull the rug out from under you and start from scratch. Rip the Band-Aid Time off. Time to phoenix out. <laughs> Rip the Band-Aid <laughs> off. Exactly. So tell us a little bit about your spiritual background and how you got started. Can you give us some more information? Yeah. So I uh, I was raised pagan. Like both of my parents uh, practicing pagans, kind of well-known in the pagan community in their own right. Um, and uh, both read tarot. And I would be, you know, I'd be at home, I'd be, or I'd be with them at various events and sort of hovering over my dad's shoulder as he's giving readings uh, or with my mom when she's doing readings, being 13 years old and like, or even before then, being like 10 years old and getting readings from my mom when I had questions because I knew, hey, mom's a witch. You were talking about, uh... Creating your own system at oh, 12. Yeah. I'm so, really curious about that. Yeah, so I'm autistic. Um, it's autism spectrum. I'm very open about that. And it was much more severe when I was a kid. So I desperately wanted to understand other people, to really, like, how do people, what does a people work? How do people? Exactly. 
Um, so I started picking up my mom's astrology books. There was uh, old books on sun sign astrology, which I wouldn't recommend to beginners now, but very big in the 60s and was my introduction when I was like 9, 10 years old. Um, and I just devoured it. And more and more astrology. And I was like, I wasn't really connecting to the tarot symbolism at the time, which is a weird way to put it when I was a kid. <laughs> but um, I ended up scrawling little astrological symbols and astrological-related symbols onto index cards and uh, giving readings for that. You, same, you know, hippy-dippy town in upstate New York where my dad was giving readings at the time and five bucks a pop and I just lay out some cards and my dad mentioned that uh, one of the first readings I ever gave he, he was sitting at his table and he could see me off in the distance at a bench um, and he from that distance he noticed the client give that truth flinch mm-hmm. you know the oh you've just said something that hit really close to home <laughs> um, so I was good when I started it's the advantage of living life under judgment in the tower <laughs> Um, what deck were you using? Because you said you weren't really connecting to the uh, to the tarot cards, but the astrology aspects are shown in a lot of cards. So I was wondering. The astrological symbolism isn't really highly visible in most most decks. No, it's really not, especially like the Smith Way. It's there, but it's n- nuanced. Yeah, it's in the Toth, but I don't like the Toth. <laughs> um, I, there are p- people who can read with it and do very well with it and good for them. I like to say that the reason so many people start with the Toth deck is that there's a, uh, there's a tradition, which I don't necessarily believe in, but there's a tradition where people believe your first deck should be a gift and everybody has a Toth deck they're trying to get rid of. <laughs> so here, take this. <laughs> and then people move on to something else. I've used a bunch of decks over the years. I've played around with the Toth a little bit. It's too dark and, you know, Crowley ego flavored for me. Yeah. Um, I have to agree. And I started with the Toth deck, so, yeah. yeah. I've been using the Fountain Tarot almost exclusively for a couple years now. Really? Yes. I had no idea. Okay. I don't connect with that deck at all, but... What I love about it more than anything is the production value. It is very high quality cardstock. Not not even just that, but the box itself. The box it's the box is very well made. Those decks, the boxes give out right away. Yeah, absolutely. And that is not just a beautiful box, but a very well made mm-hmm. box. And the magnetic strip that holds them in, it oh, is a yes. nice production value. And just that alone is very attractive to me. Like they thought <laughs> about this, you know? Yeah, and I think that says a lot about the 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 energy that went into the deck when yeah. you're doing that with that level of care and consideration. I do the, think it's beautiful too. It is the artwork is just gorgeous. It is gorgeous. So ethereal. Absolutely. Yeah. I end up layering on the symbolism of the Wade Smith artwork onto it though. Interesting. It's uh, kind of impossible not to though when you've been studying for so long. Absolutely. And for a couple of years when I was reading at events regularly, I don't do events as much anymore. Um I would bring like six, seven, eight decks with me. Uh yeah, I've definitely seen you 
come with a horde of decks. I have absolutely <laughs> done that, yeah. And I and I would let the clients pick. But when you're when you don't know what deck you're going to do before going into the reading, it's like you've got your set of symbolism, and that's what you work. Hope with. you know what you're talking about. I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, event life is not for everyone. It can be extremely draining. I still do events, but m- way less than I was. And it's, it's a challenge. You have to be mentally prepared, but, uh, you were, you, now you read astrology yeah. mainly, right? I'm trying to do more and more astrology. Um, I like my, I had a funny thing and I can actually see it in the astrology of, of my chart where around, yeah, around age 15, I stopped focusing on astro- I stopped focusing on astrology as much and then picked it up again in full force, I want to say 2013. Um, but because I had literally spent, I don't know, eight, five years studying it, uh, in which were among my most formative years, and because I've got that autistic thing where when I want to learn something, I dive in with incredible force. Mm-hmm. Um, Not to mention the Aries thing. Doesn't hurt. There is a lot of diving in with incredible force for Aries as well. <laughs> um, for good and for ill. I was uh, feeling very lonely and I wanted to know timing of when I would meet a partner. Really? Uh, yes. I wonder if that's like usual, the usual story of why people get more involved in astrology. Human beings only have so many motivations. I think wanting to understand the world better is a big one. That's where I started. But, you know, some of the greatest musicians of all time started playing their instruments to get laid. (laughs) That's true. We do. We have very few motivations. And uh, I would say sex is probably the biggest one. I would say so. One of the things that they talk about in psychology, which is very familiar to me as a reader, is that there's only two basic motivations. There's the there's basically career and love or love slash sex relating to other people and then accomplishing stuff with your life. And those are literally the two, almost every reading a reader does, the client wants to know about career or they want to know about love. And they talk about the exact same thing and throughout the psychological literature. So yeah, my motivation was I was lonely. I wanted to meet someone. I wanted to know when I was going to meet someone. And it took me a while to get to the point where I could figure that stuff out. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah, it I'm still is. studying. I found a lot of really great diversion uh, diversions along the way. Different things I could get into, lots of different techniques. It really didn't start clicking until it... I mean, it was clicking. I've, I've been good for a while. But around, around this time last year, I went to... Uh, UAC, United Astrology Conference, which is the largest astrology conference in the world, and connected with a whole bunch of other astrologers. And astrology is a language, and there's no better way to learn a language than immersion. Mm. I was just in it, speaking the language all day, every day, for most of a week. And it took me to that next level. And one of the big things that came out of it was I started using a lot of Hellenistic techniques, uh, ancient Greek, mm-hmm. uh, which I've only, the, the use of these traditional techniques has only been reemerging in the past few years. 
a lot of the really powerful tools for precise timing only really were rediscovered in the past couple decades. Zodiaca releasing is a big one, which I'm a huge fan of. Well, what are some of the differences that you've noticed since you have been a reader professionally for so long and now are a professional astrology reader? What are some of the differences that you know that you've noticed? I'm going to steal, with permission, the metaphor from one of my colleagues who I admire greatly, Austin Kopic, which is that astrology gives you sort of the bird's eye view and tarot gives you the Google Street view. Yes. With astrology, you can look at the big picture. You can look at timing of what's going to happen 40 years from now. You can look at all of the pieces of your life and how they fit together. You can look at a person's chart and tell a lot about who they are as a person and how all of the different pieces of who they are work as a whole or don't work. I love that natal astrology, the astrology of the birth chart, shows you the ways in which we contradict ourselves as people. Because <laughs> we all do. Yeah. Uh, and you see it right there in the chart. Tarot, on the other hand, lets you get up close and personal with the issues. What is happening right now? Presently, yes. Very grounded in the present moment. That's what I'm kind of picturing with your metaphor it's like a better map from the bird's eye view. But if you just need to see what the building looks like as a landmark, yeah, you know, the, the, the tarot is your better, better bet. Exactly. Yeah. And I do agree. Tarot does focus on the present more. What's actually right in front of you. It's up close and personal. Yeah. <laughs> it's also very good. One of my, um, one of my regular clients always has a bunch of questions. She's, I love this woman dearly. She's always got interesting stuff going on in her life and all of and several different interesting things happening at once with a lot of moving parts. She'll ask me about this, pull a card. You know, next question, pull a card, pull a card, pull a card, pull a card, pull a card. And we can go for like two hours. Wow. We usually do. And Tarot lets me do lets me do that. Look at all of these little parts, you know. There's three people I'm considering for this position, or there's three people I'm considering dating, or there's, you know, three cities I'm looking at moving to, or five, whatever it is. And you start pulling cards for each of these and seeing how they compare. And compare to the cards you lay in the center for where the person's at and what's going on with them and what works for them. Like, if you've got Knight of Cups showing up for one of these options for the romance, but your person in front of you is all pinnacles, maybe that's not exactly what they're looking for. You know, maybe they don't want the lovey-dovey. Maybe they want something serious and grounded. And then if they're talking about the dates of moving or the dates of hiring. Oh, yeah. When do you start a new job? When am I going to, st when am I going to start a new job? When am I going to get a promotion? When am I going to meet the love of my life? What would you use to answer those questions? That's astrology. So that's a little different. There are three main branches of astrology. There's horary, there's electional, and there's natal. Natal, looking at the birth chart and what's going on with it. Electional is picking timing. It's like, what's the most auspicious time to do this? Like, for the recording of this podcast, 
And then there's Horary, which is interesting. Horary is a whole other subset which is closer to tarot. Yeah. Where you you ask a question and then you cast the chart for the moment the question is asked. The moment the question is understood yes. by the reader. Yes, that's a better way of putting it. And even if you're your own reader, like sometimes I'll have a question like that's not what I really want to ask. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. And I'll spend some time back and forth, like, is this really going on? But to get back to the uh, question about timing, election astrology would be more like pick a specific moment to do something. Natal astrology is where you more get into when is an event likely to occur to someone. And there's a lot of different tools and techniques. There's a lot of things. You start with the birth chart, and then you do a bunch of calculations based on that using something like Zodiac or Releasing, or in uh, Jyotish, uh, more commonly known as Vedic or Indian astrology. There's the Dasha systems, and both of these sort of lay out the entire life as if it was a biography. And you can sort of look at sections and uh, chapters and paragraphs and sentences within that biography, just sort of laying it all out. Um, the whole map. Yeah. it's Now that is what you use to answer the question, when will I meet the love of my life? And this is one of the important differences with, between tarot and astrology. If I've got astrology, I am seeing the answer night and, you know, clear as day. And it's not always what the client wants to hear. If you're not going to meet the love of your life for another five years, it's very hard to see that in an astrology reading and know how to talk to the client about it and how to deliver that in a comf- in a easy way. I'm still figuring out a lot of this. But with tarot you're not getting that level of precision and you're also getting a more subtle texture of detail to the situation that lets you sort of go into how to handle the fact that you're not going to meet, you know, what do you do in the, for the remaining time? But I have had clients where they're tower clients and I can clearly tell it's going to be years before they meet the partner but with the cards in front of me, I'm like, okay, this is exactly what you need to do to transform, to come into your own, to be the kind of person that is going to draw that person in. You know what's really interesting, now that you mentioned that, is I have been working really, really diligently to explain to clients as quickly and as uh, most layman's terms possible that... I'm trying to empower them with the information that they're in control of their destiny to an extent. These outcomes are based on how everything is right now, and they're bound to shift. We can shift timelines. We can shift our own frequency. And it's kind of like it plays into my question of like how much control do they actually have when you're looking at their natal chart and you can see that something's years away, right? But then I'm trying to like tell them that they can control their own destiny. They're the master of their own destiny. That brings up a philosophical point of the difference between fate and free will, which is something I spent a lot of time thinking about, and I have a sort of unique perspective I haven't heard anywhere else, which is that fate versus free will are the same thing depending on your perspective. From the point of the universe everything is faded. If you were the all-seeing divine and you could see the motion, if you could see the lo- 
position and velocity of every single subatomic particle in the universe at the same time in a given moment, you could predict 100% of the past and 100% of the future with perfect accuracy. We do not have that kind of view. <laughs> we are human beings who have a limited understanding of the universe, who have a perspective that by its very nature makes it possible to see some things and impossible to see others, or very difficult to see others. And that means that in practice we have free will. My opinion is that from a theoretical standpoint, everything is faded, everything is determined. But that's not how human lives work in practice. How human lives work in terms of just living a life is there is a lot of room for free will. And no diviner, astrologer, tower reader, palm reader, whatever, is going to be able to predict the future with 100% accuracy. Thank you. Exactly. It's, this is not a perfect science. It's not. It's a lot like cooking. You know, there's some science to it, but once you get really good at it, you're just measuring the spices by hand. I love that analogy. But it does leave a lot of room for error, which is why we have some really important responsibilities. There's something, there's terms which I, I'm borrowing from psychology, beneficence and non-malfeasance. Beneficence is about the responsibility to do good. Non-malfeasance is about the responsibility to not do harm. And you might be forgiven for thinking, thinking those are the same thing, but they are really not. And in practice, non-malfeasance is the harder one. Not accidentally running your mouth and saying something damaging is hard and is why in a lot of traditional therapy settings that aren't the kind of stuff we do, the therapist just shuts up the entire time and will say bits and pieces here and there because a huge part of it, and there are some people who approach reading in this way, but I'm not one of them. A huge part of it is that most people don't listen to themselves most people don't hear themselves think. And when you actually say stuff out loud, and out loud and then get it reflected back to you, it's like, oh my God, I'm very good at what I do. I am psychic. I pull in a lot of intuitive information that I just know. It just comes to me. And that is a big part of how I do my readings. But there are always clients where they're already telling me just from the opening conversation we have before the reading, what their problem is, why they're having it, and how to solve it. And then when I lay out the cards, it's just repeating what I already know. But also some of it is paying attention to body language and certain little details like that. I pick up on those things for sure. Well, I don't pick up on the body language and the little details as much, but in terms of what people are actually, actually. saying, yes. like, what are the words? And there is so much you can hear there. I've been studying a lot of astrological magic recently, and I'm still very much a beginner with it. But I'm also kind of sort of the person that astrological magic is intended for. There's this book called The Picatrix, which is maybe the most important book in the history of astrological magic. And in the introduction to um, the translation by Christopher Warnock and uh, John Michael Greer, they talk about how the Picatrix is written for an audience of people 
that translators tend to call sages, but it might be more accurate to refer to them as wizards. Wizard is not just like Merlin with the pointy hat and the stars and crescents, <laughs> although that is a lovely image and I'm a fan of it. There was an actual profession for a lot of history of someone who was just the local smart guy. Knowledgeable, well-read, good at introspection, has studied a lot of various sciences and math, and more importantly, just common sense. Just how to think about stuff. And how to talk to people. Yeah, counseling skills are a huge part of that. How to help people. And uh, I'm reminded of a phrase from one of my astrology sources, something like, part seer, part commonsensical advisor, but also well-read and knowledgeable. And to me, that is what my job is as a reader. I am well-read. I have studied various things. I have studied psychology. I have studied sexuality. I have studied just basic human nature. And my role as a diviner is to help people with that to offer this advice. But a lot of people, a lot of people who do more astrology than tarot, I find, are just reading the chart. And that is how they work. They're not so much about giving advice. They're not so much about telling people what to do or how to do it. It's just, here's the information. Here's what I see. Here's your answer. I see that in astrology mostly with horary which is a word I do not like to pronounce, <laughs> H-O-R-A-R-Y, where very often with a horary question, there's a very clear-cut answer. Am I going to sleep with this dude? No. <laughs> <laughs> is this relationship going somewhere? Yes, go for it. Am I going to get the job? Probably, but you might not like it that much. But even in a horary chart, there's all these different layers of nuance and detail like, I, I, I like to get horary readings from other people or readings from other people in general when it's something I have a lot of strong emotions about because when I'm really worked up about something, I can't read for myself. So, like, I got a reading from a colleague of mine, uh, Wade Caves, great horary astrologer, because I was trying to figure out where to move because I left Brooklyn and I wanted to know where to go next. And he was looking at the place I'd end up, and he's like, okay, here's your natal chart. Here's how this relates to the natal chart. Here's the kind of place that your natal chart says you should be looking for. Here is how that sort of place is indicated in terms of directionality within the horary chart. And it seems to be pointing at this. And it looks like it's great. You'll, you'll really enjoy this place. It's a good time, but you're going to end up not moving at some point. You're not going to stay there forever. And this is true. I'm leaving New York next year. Oh, my God. Did I pick the wrong time to drop that bombshell? You never told me. <laughs> I have to get out of here, too. Just tell me you're not going out west. I'm going out west. Oh! Really that was a big... That was a big drop. That was You dropped it on me. Sorry. It's okay. It's okay. Okay, so you were getting a reading from a friend about where to move, when to move. Yeah. And... You're leaving New York. And, and I'm leaving New York. I'm leaving New York next year. 
And it turned out to be the case. Like, the house where the, the apartment I ended up living in was shown in the horary chart by Venus and Scorpio retrograde. And Jupiter was in Scorpio in that same house. So it's all very good, but the fact that Venus is not so happy in Scorpio and that she, she was retrograde or maybe about to go retrograde, I forget exactly when, would indicate the leaving. And it's turned out to be like the best relationship with my roommate I've ever had. That's beautiful. That's yeah. really important. Absolutely. And everybody in that apartment is queer. Nice. So, Let me just say that if you are on a spiritual path of any kind, but especially if you are in healing work or you're in divination work, your home must be a sanctuary. Has to be. Absolutely. Yeah. And that has not always been easy for me. Neither. Yeah. Um, but that's what I'm talking about with the love. And the reason I bring this up is because you can get to that level of detail in a horary chart, and you can see, okay, this is what that situation is, this is what the costs of it are, this is what the benefits are, and you have to have the conversation with the client about what works for them. So even in horary, there is some advising going on. And like with tarot, you see what's up with the client, what kind of client you're dealing with, and what situations are going to be more beneficial for them and which ones are going to be less beneficial for them. So how do you navigate something that is that almost dramatic to look at? It's, it's an intense thing to even see on your side. How do you explain it? It's hard. My point of view is that I am here to empower the client. You can get dealt a shitty hand, but if you play it right, you can still come out on top. Yeah. And that's very important when it comes to astrology. A lot of people look at the natal chart and think you're locked into all of the terrible things in your chart. And, you know, and everybody's got bad stuff in their chart and everybody's got great stuff. But people tend to overemphasize the troubling things and think they're stuck there forever and you're not. You know, I've seen award-winning writers with very bad mercury in their natal chart because you learn to work with it. Yeah. You, you're dealt as the, as the birth chart is the hand you're dealt. And part of my role as a diviner of any kind is to help you find the best way to play that hand. And yeah, clients come to you and they're going through rough shit. Mm -hmm. And I have a responsibility as a reader to guide, to comfort, to not make it worse. Right. And to show them how to get to the other side of it. And if I'm seeing in the cards, yeah, this isn't ending anytime soon. Then to show them, then to provide the client some perspective, some knowledge, some wisdom, some power they already have access to. Which is going to give them what they need to make it through to the other side. I love that. And I agree. I think that's part of the job. And counsel just is part of the job. You have to. It's what they're there for. Yeah, it's, what, it's why clients come to you. It's important to make it clear when it comes to mental challenges, disabilities, uh, medical issues. I'm not a doctor. 
But, I, <laughs> right? No, we are not doctors. If I get a client and I'm like, you need therapy, I will find a way to suggest to them. I keep a, uh, a list of referrals, people that they can at least get information from. That's you know, super important. I think suicide hotlines also come up, you know, um, and then community centers for LGBTQ community people. Yeah. Um, there's just, we should be a place where they can find resources, in my opinion. Absolutely. I feel like that's part of the responsibility. And also part of the responsibility is having an intersectional body of knowledge. Yeah. Like, I will get black women as clients who are dealing with issues that are specifically because of discrimination against black women. Mm-hmm. Not because they're black, not because they're women, because they're black women. Mm-hmm. And... I'm not able to help my clients if I don't have this body of knowledge, if I'm not aware of the ways that the various shit we deal with affects people differently depending on how society views them, how society categorizes them, how and what my own weaknesses are and what my own blind spots are around that. Constantly be checking in with yourself in a very candid way, in a non-delusional way, which is tough because we are humans. (laughs) <laughs> we are. Yeah. Well, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to be discussing some of the important things to be focusing on in 2019 and in planetary magic. Absolutely. go to my friend's house she lived very very close to me and her entire house was made up of mirrors everywhere the whole second floor all of her bathrooms had mirrors and when we were younger and playing in her basement she used to tell me that she had a ghost down there I was like oh she's crazy what is she talking about she like named him some kind of name was always talking about the ghost in her basement I'm like you're an idiot (laughs) get out of here Um, Later on, a few years go by, and I'm in the car with my friends, and their mother was driving me home, and she was getting into my living community, and she's like, oh, you live here? I'm like, yeah, and she goes, I used to have a friend that lived down here, actually, it's really weird, she got so creeped out living in that house that she moved out after, like, a couple months, we're like, what? She's like, yeah, the house was, like, four stories had mirrors everywhere in all of the bathrooms it was like creepy but like she had an infant and like when she would place the infant like in her bed something would just pull her out and put her on the floor and she got so creeped out one day she like did a whole cleanup she like cleaned up all the kids toys she made everything nice she went upstairs made some food she started hearing like something getting like hit knocked over she went down to her kids room and saw that all of the toys were just completely messed up all over the ground. And then one day she was having a party and that girl, the lady that was actually driving me home, said that she went to that party, she went into the bathroom of all the mirrors, she got up, looked into one of the mirrors and she saw a black shadow figure standing right behind her. And then after that they moved out.
And we're back. We're here with Arthur Lipbonowitz. And uh, we were discussing the difficult challenges of 2019, how we're going to navigate through these issues coming up. Right. So there's two major configurations which are sort of defining for 2019 in terms of astrology. One is this very tight triple conjunction of Saturn, Pluto, and the South Node in Capricorn, which I've been referring to as the Boneyard. And it's this very dark, difficult, death, oppression-focused energy. And anytime you've got Saturn conjunct Pluto in a world history point, there is this sense that the apocalypse is right around the corner and the bad guys are winning. And that is absolutely the characteristic of this time we're living through in history. South Node in Saturn is a whole other thing. Um, again, I'm going to credit Austin Kopic with uh, turning me on to this, but uh, the South, in Vedic astrology, in Jyotish, the South Node and Saturn together brings this energy of unresolved ancestor karma. Like you did, your parents weren't properly mourned or properly buried. And to me, that's a lot of why the spiritual community as a whole is running around in a panic trying to do ancestor worship with the energy of a bachelor who has company coming over and suddenly realize that he hasn't cleaned the apartment in months. <laughs> Love that. I mean, we're really realizing as a society how we haven't honored the dead, how we haven't honored the past. We're talk. I mean, from a social justice standpoint, we're talking very much about America as the country that is built on mass graves of indigenous peoples and uh, enslaved Africans. Hmm. And it's heavy stuff, and we're all dealing with it. Um, but in a weird sort of contrast to that is this square between Saturn, between Jupiter in Sagittarius and Neptune in Pisces. Jupiter in Sagittarius is in Sagittarius until December 2nd, I believe, and entered Sagittarius around November of last year. And Jupiter is at home in Sagittarius. It's one of his favorite signs to be in. And having Jupiter there in Sagittarius is bringing this potential, this possibility for hope, for optimism, for joy, for good luck and success. With Jupiter square to Neptune, it's all that joy and that optimism is likely to take on this sort of unreasonable, maybe even a little bit delusional quality. But I think that's exactly what we need right now. Maintaining hope in a dark time requires a certain amount of delusionalness, of unrealisticness, because if everything around you has fallen to shit, then maintaining hope that the world can be better is completely unrealistic in relation to the spirit of the times. And we have these very contrasting energies coming up and sort of defining 2019 but because we have Jupiter and Sagittarius, we can uh, tap into that from the perspective of astrological magic. Not right this second, 
I would not be doing Jupiter's spells or trying to call down Jupiter uh, while Jupiter's retrograde. Jupiter doesn't stop being benefic. It's not like the inner planets, Mercury, Venus, and Mars, where when they go retrograde, they start really fucking shit up. <laughs> uh, Jupiter is just not really super eager or quick or outward in terms of his beneficence, in terms of his willing to provide good stuff. Fortunately, there are a lot of people who have already done Jupiter magic before he went retrograde and have and are actually making products available for tapping into that Jupiter magic. And once Jupiter goes direct in a few months, you'll be able to tap into it again. I do want to take this moment to plug some of my friends because they are fine astrological magicians and are making really great stuff, which I highly recommend for navigating these times. Uh, the first has to be Sphere and Sundry. Sphere, S-P-H-E-R-E, like orb. Um, people mishear that when I say it sometimes. <laughs> but SphereandSundry.com, uh, Caitlin Kopik runs, uh, runs it. She's an absolute sweetheart and makes all kinds of high-quality astrological magic oils and incenses and hydrosols and occasionally partners with others like Tony Mack, who is a talisman maker who I cannot recommend highly enough. TonyMackOldsmith.com, very high quality work. If you're looking to get like a really potent piece of magic, like reality warping shit, astrological magic is the way to go and Tony Mack is one of the best in the business. And he's friends with Caitlin, and they collaborate on stuff. Uh, Sphere and Sundry is releasing a series of Jupiter magic, uh, Jupiter's Bounty, which is going to be focused on just all the good shit that you can get from Jupiter, and there's going to be a few talismans available. I don't know if they're going to still be available by the time this episode comes out, but there's plenty of good stuff to work with. Even if you're not necessarily doing full astrological magic, and even if you can't afford to drop, you know, 26 bucks on a hydrosol or whatever... Um, there's a lot you can do just in terms of meditation and communion because while Jupiter's in Sagittarius, you want to lean into that energy and you wouldn't necessarily like reach out to him for, Hey, give me shit. <laughs> you know, you wouldn't do a petition or a prayer or, uh, or a prayer of at where you're asking for something or you wouldn't make a talisman while he's retrograde, but it's absolutely fine to say, you know, every Thursday, which is Jupiter's Day, um, preferably in the hour right after dawn, hour-ish. Sometimes it's a little less, sometimes it's a little more. Planetary hours is a whole other topic. Anyway. Just really quickly, though, if I'm wrong, please tell me. It's it's uh, the first hour after dawn, and then it goes through, each hour goes through 12 planets. Is that right? And then it starts back over? Basically, uh or the hour after sunset sometimes as well. Actually, I do want to take a moment here to talk about planetary hours in more detail. Um, so basically how planetary hours work, you can calculate it with... There's a whole bunch of uh, free apps that'll do it for you. I happen to be a big fan of Time Nomad, which is an iPhone app. I'm not sure what you'd use for Android, but you can just Google planetary hours and you'll find something. Basically, you take... Uh, 
sunrise is starting at the day starts at sunrise with the planet of that day. So Monday, moon day, uh, Tuesday, Mars, uh, Wednesday, Mercury, Thursday, Jupiter, Friday, Venus, Saturday, Saturn, Sunday, sun. sun. Exactly. And the day starts at sunrise and then divides the time from sunrise into sunset into 12 equal portions. And each hour is a different planet uh, going in what's known as Chaldean order. Uh, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. might be Chaldean, which is the relative speed of the planets. So Saturn, Jupiter, Mars, Sun, Venus, Mercury, Moon. And so it starts from sunrise with whatever the planet of the day is, goes in order. Sunrise to sunset is 12 equal portions, and then it continues in that order, but dividing up the hours from that sunset to the next sunrise, that's into 12 equal portions. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, so there's actually an interesting thing you can do where if you're, you can, if you're doing something at night, you might consider the planet that happens to be the first planet the planet of the first hour after sunset as the lord of that night. Yes. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, anyway, it can all it can be calculated if you it can be calculated for you by these apps. But the simplest way to make sure you've got the planetary hour and the day right is to do it right after sunrise, if you can get up that early, even if you're just doing it on Jupiter's day. To uh, there's a couple of different prayers. I recommend either the Orphic Hymn, O-R-P-H-I-C, which are some Greek poems to various deities, and they're very good for planetary magic. Um, there's some other planetary prayers which are a little less intense from a book called the Hygromantia, which is sort of a precursor to the Key of Solomon. Or you can just improvise. And just talk to the planet like you'd talk to a friend and say, Hey, Jupiter, I like you. You're really great. <laughs> Thanks for having my back. Keep up the good work. So the idea is not about asking for things, but aligning yourself with that planetary energy. Exactly. And if you've, and if you've got a good Jupiter or if you've got a bad Jupiter and you want to get, make it work better, um, that's a great practice to do especially while Jupiter is in Sagittarius, which he is from now until December 2nd, 2019. After that, he goes into Capricorn, and you do not want to be asking Jupiter for stuff while he's in Capricorn. (laughs) So establish a relationship now. Exactly. While he's social. Exactly, while he's feeling good. And get your Jupiter magic supplies now while he's in good shape. And people are making lots of good Jupiter magic stuff. A lot of the stuff out there that gets labeled as like a planetary incense or a planetary oil is not actually made according to proper astrological magic principles. Part of why I recommend uh, Sphere and Sundry and Tony Mack is they know the proper astrological magic principles for making these things work backwards and forwards. When you say principles, are you discussing alchemical elements like herbs and oils, or do you mind elaborating on that a little bit? 
I can elaborate on it a little bit. The short version is astrological magic at a high level is very, very complicated. There are a lot of technical considerations in terms of what the chart of the moment, the electional chart for the magic, looks like. And uh, there's no such thing as a perfect chart, and you have to sort of figure out what's good enough, what works. There's so many different factors to consider, and then you have to know what herbs to use, what kind of incense to use, what kind of stone to use what prayers to use, and which of the prayers to use to create different effects. It's very technical. It's very complicated. I know enough to know that there's a lot more to learn. Um, and I've picked up a lot from friends who are way more knowledgeable than I am and have been practicing for much longer. I mean, that's the thing... If you want, <laughs> One of the big differences between tarot and astrology, to go back to that for a moment, is that there is a rock-solid astrological community in a way I have never seen for tarot. I have to agree, actually. I'm in an astrology group, uh, and they were my valentine this year. Aww. Because the support in that group is so beautiful. So for a valentine's gift, I offered anyone who wanted a free e-reading. Oh, that's so sweet. I ended up doing like 10 and it's it's all readers, you know. Like, let, let me read you. Let me let me give you something. But their their support for each other is so beautiful. And yeah, that doesn't exist. It in the doesn't. Community. No. And part of it is the support, and part of it is the structure. There are major astrological organizations, international and national, that decide on things such as certification and ethics rules, and while there are a lot of astrologers who operate outside those organizations, those organizations don't even exist when for the tarot world. Yeah. And that is a big part of why there's a community, is the existence of conferences and organizations like this. Yeah. I think the certification is important, too. We used to talk about this all the time uh, when we first met, but tarot readers really don't have proof. <laughs> so no. you, you basically have to read their reviews <laughs> like word of mouth is, yeah. a big, is, is really important for a reader of tarot absolutely and that creates a lot of problems also certification creates a lot of problems like psychiatry one of the most heavily certified and rigorously certified professions uh, in the world and you can't swing a cat at an LGBTQ potluck without hitting someone who's been seriously harmed by a psychiatrist. So the certifications and the code of ethics matter, make a lot of difference, do not prevent malfeasance. Yeah. Um, which is a whole other can of worms, and I think it's important to not try and come up with a solution to we should or we shouldn't have certification, but to just sort of acknowledge the complexity of it. That's important. You're right. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Getting back to planetary magic briefly, um, there's so many different rules to keep in mind, and which is why... I rely on a lot of other people for the products they make while I'm still learning a lot of it. 
one of the interesting things, the Picatrix, the book I mentioned earlier, is the most important tome resource for learning astrological magic. It was written over a thousand years ago and only recently fully translated into English properly. And one of the things you learn from the translation is that this guy is a troll. This guy will intentionally say things that will fuck you up, like making recommendations of incense that will poison you and kill you if you inhale the fumes, because he only wants people who are true sages, true wizards, true scholars and experts who have studied this stuff to be able to use and access the tools and techniques in there. Wow. And it's a brilliant book. It's essential. Um, but you have to be, you have to approach it with respect and care and consideration and conscientiousness. Part of the reason I'm moving through it so slowly is because the book is owed to that kind of respect, because you have to read a few paragraphs, stop, think about them, come back a couple days later, read the next few paragraphs. I think if you're just looking to do a basic start with how do you attune yourself more to the rhythms of the planets to enhance your own magic, that's great. Um, just start paying attention Basic level, where to start, pay attention to what the moon is doing. There's a lot of free astrology apps. I recommend Astro Gold or Time Passages. Um, Astro Gold, I believe, is available for Android, so it has that advantage. I do not recommend CoStar, because it doesn't give you the info you need in order to really learn astrology. Um... But uh, And to start paying attention to the, what the moon is doing. Notice how you feel on different days when the moon is in different signs or when the moon is making an aspect to a different planet. I will notice myself get into vicious fights on Facebook, but then I will look and I'll be like, oh, the moon is in Scorpio, which is a sign it struggles in, making a difficult aspect to Mars, which is the planet of conflict. So, oh yeah, that's why I got into the shit fight and broke some things I didn't want to break. <laughs> <laughs> um, on the other hand, like I'll be sitting around and I'll be having an absolutely wonderful afternoon and I'll notice that the moon is in Taurus, which is a sign it does do very well in making a nice aspect to uh, Venus, which is a, one of the nicer planets. Mm. But keep a diary, pay attention, particularly pay attention to when the moon is void, of course, which is sort of the period between it makes its last aspect in a sign and entering the next sign. I do not, I, so much goes wrong if you try and do it during a void, of course, with moon. And that's really big to pay attention to. But as you started to get a sense of the rhythm of astrology and how it affects your life, you can use that to guide your magic even if you're not doing full-on planetary magic. Wonderful. So tell us uh, how people can either book a session with you and maybe a little bit about how they can listen to more of what you have to say. 
Well, I actually have a podcast of my own, uh, Bird's Eye Astrology Podcast. Bird's Eye Astrology is also on Twitter, at Bird's Eye Astro. I am on Twitter. Most of my social media right now is on Twitter, at Lip and Bone, L-I-P-A-N-D-B-O-N-E. Uh, I'm on Instagram, at Readings by Arthur, but I don't post as much on Instagram. Um, if you'd like to book a reading with me, I love working with clients. It's my favorite part of this job is just getting to help people. Uh, go to my website, arthurlipbonowitz.com slash readings. You can book automatically, pay automatically, have it all handled through the website. Basically seamless. I also should mention I currently am offering sliding scale readings uh, for sex workers or people who work in related industries, as well as anybody who either came out as LGBTQ or started transitioning gender within the past year. You can email me. There's an email link at that same web, uh, web address. I also should specify that it's specifically for people who came out or started transitioning in the past year because I would be overwhelmed with clients if it was for anybody on the LGBTQ spectrum. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Arthur, for all of your wisdom and uh, planetary magic and the things that people need to focus on. Um, Is there anything else you want to add before we close? A fundamental ethical principle for any sort of magic or reading practice is to just do your best to do good and try not to do any harm. And you're going to mess that up sometimes. The best readers will sometimes have a slip of the tongue or step on a landmine and mess up with clients. And as long as that's not happening all the time, as long as you are doing a good job and helping most of the people who come to you, then, and as long as you're learning from your mistakes, don't beat yourself up over it. Beating yourself up is a distraction from accountability and changing so that you stop the behavior. And like if you're a beginning reader, you're going to learn more by getting your hands dirty and doing readings than you are by studying all the time. Yeah, you can't just, it's not just the fundamentals. Yeah, there's only so many tarot books you can buy before you actually have to do a reading. (laughs) That's so true. All right, thanks, Arthur. You're welcome.